Chapter 8, Part 2 of Desperate Remedies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bryony Ford. Desperate Remedies by Thomas Hardy. Chapter 8, Part 2. Cytheria was rather disconcerted at finding that the gradual cessation of the chopping of the mill was on her account, and still more when she saw all the cider-maker's eyes fixed upon her except Mr. Springrove's, whose natural delicacy restrained him. She neared the plot of grass, but instead of advancing further, hesitated on its border. Mr. Springrove perceived her embarrassment, which was relieved when she saw his old established figure coming across to her, wiping his hands in his apron. "'I know your errand, Missy,' he said, "'and I'm glad to see you and attend to it. "'I'll step indoors.' "'If you are busy, I am in no hurry for a minute or two, said Cytheria. "'Then, if so, be you really wouldn't mind. "'We'll ring down this last filling to let it drain all night.' "'Not at all. I like to see you. "'We are only just grinding down the early pickthongs and griffins.' continued the farmer in a half-apologetic tone for detaining by his cider-making any well-dressed woman. They rot as black as chimney-crook if we keep them till the regulars turn in. As he spoke, he went back to the press, Cytheria keeping at his elbow. I'm later than I should have been by rights, he continued, taking up a lever for propelling the screw and beckoning to the men to come forward. The truth is, my son Edward had promised to come to-day, and I made preparations, but instead of him comes a letter. "'London, September the 18th, dear father,' says he, "'and went on to tell me he couldn't. "'It threw me out a bit.' "'Of course,' said Cytheria. "'He's got a place, I believe,' said the clerk, drawing near. "'No, poor mortal fellow, no. "'He tried for this one here, you know, but couldn't manage to get it. "'I don't know the rights of the matter, but willy-nilly they wouldn't have him for steward. "'Now, mates, form in line. "'Springrove, the clerk.' The grinders and Gad all ranged themselves behind the lever of the screw and walked round like soldiers wheeling. The man that old queen have got is a man you can hardly get upon your tongue to gainsay by the look of him, rejoined Clark Cricket. One of them people that can contrive to be thought no worse of for stealing a horse than another man for looking over a hedge in, said a grinder. Well, he's all there as steward and is quite the gentleman, no doubt about that. So would my Ted have been for the matter of that, the farmer said. "'That's true. I would, sir. I said I'll give Ted a good education if it do cost me my eyes, and I would have done it.' "'Aye, that you would so,' said the chorus of assistants solemnly. "'But he took to books and drawing naturally, and cost very little, and as a wind-up the woman-folk hatched up a match between him and his cousin. "'When's the wedding to be, Mr. Springrove?' "'Uncertain. But soon, I suppose. Edward, you see, can do anything pretty nearly, and yet can't get a straightforward living.' I wish sometimes I kept him here and let professions go. But he was such a one for the pencil. He dropped the lever in the hedge and turned to his visitor. Now then, Missy, if you'll come indoors, please. Gad Weedy looked with a placid criticism at Cytheria as she withdrew with the farmer. I could tell by the tongue of her that she didn't take her degrees in our country, he said in an undertone. The railways have left you lonely here, she observed, when they were indoors. Save the withered old flies, which were quite tame from the solitude, not a being was in the house. Nobody seemed to have entered it since the last passenger had been called out to mount the last stagecoach that had run by. Yes, Dean and I seem almost a pair of fossils, 
the farmer replied, looking at the room and then at himself. "'Oh, Mr. Springrove,' said Cytheria, suddenly recollecting herself, "'I am much obliged to you for recommending me to Miss Aldcliffe.' She began to warm towards the old man. There was in him a gentleness of disposition which reminded her of her own father. "'Recommending? Not at all, Miss. Ted. That's my son. Ted said a fellow draftsman of his had a sister who wanted to be doing something in the world. And I mentioned it to the housekeeper, that's all. I, I miss my son very much.' She kept her back to the window that he might not see her rising colour. "'Yes,' he continued, "'sometimes I can't help feeling uneasy about him. "'You know, he seems not made for a town life, exactly. "'He gets very queer over it sometimes, I think. "'Perhaps he'll be better when he's married to Adelaide.' A half-impatient feeling arose in her, like that which possesses a sick person when he hears a recently struck hour struck again by a slow clock. She had lived further on. "'Everything depends on whether he loves her,' she said tremulously. He used to. He doesn't show it so much now, but that's because he's older. You see, it was several years ago they first walked together as young man and young woman. She's altered, too, from what she was when he first courted her. How, sir? Oh, she's more sensible by half. When he used to write to her, she'd creep up the lane and look back over her shoulder, and slide out the letter, and read a word, and stand in thought, looking at the hills, and seeing none. Then the cuckoo would cry. Away the letter would slip, and she'd start with fright at the mere bird, and have a red skin before the quickest man among ye could say blood rush up. He came forward with the money and dropped it into her hand. His thoughts were still with Edward, and he absently took her little fingers in his, as he said earnestly and ingenuously, "'Tis so seldom I get a gentlewoman to speak to that I can't help speaking to you, Miss Grey. On my fears for Edward, I sometimes am afraid that he'll never get on, that he'll die poor and despised under the worst mental conditions.' a keen sense of having been passed in the race by men whose brains are nothing to his own all through his seeing too far into things being discontented with makeshifts thinking of perfection in things and then sickens that there's no such thing as perfection i shan't be sorry to see him marry since it may settle him down and do him good i will hope for the best he let go her hand and accompanied her to the door saying if you should care to walk this way and talk to an old man once now and then it would be a great delight to him, Miss Grey. Good evening to you. Ah, uh, look, a thunderstorm is brewing. Be quick home, or shall I step up with you? No, thank you, Mr. Springrove. Good evening, she said in a low voice, and hurried away. One thought still possessed her. Edward had trifled with her love. 4. 5 to 6 p.m. She followed the road into a bower of trees, overhanging it so densely that the pass appeared like a rabbit's burrow, and presently reached a side entrance to the park. The clouds rose more rapidly than the farmer had anticipated. The sheep moved in a trail and complained incoherently. Livid grey shades, like those of the modern French painters, made a mystery of remote and dark parts of the vista, and seemed to insist upon a suspension of breath. Before she was halfway across the park, the thunder rumbled distinctly. The direction in which she had to go would take her close by the old manor house. The air was perfectly still and between each low rumble of the thunder behind she could hear the roar of the waterfall before her, and the creak of the engine among the bushes hard by it. Hurrying on with a growing dread of the gloom and of the approaching storm, she drew near the old house, now rising before her against the dark foliage and sky in tones of strange whiteness. On the flight of steps which descended from a terrace in front to the level of the park stood a man, he appeared, partly from the relief the position gave to his figure, and partly from fact, to be of towering height. 
He was dark in outline, and was looking at the sky with his hands behind him. It was necessary for Cytheria to pass directly across the line of his front. She felt so reluctant to do this, that she was about to turn under the trees out of the path, and enter it again at a point beyond the old house. But he had seen her, and she came on mechanically, unconsciously averting her face a little, and dropping her glance to the ground. Her eyes unswervingly lingered along the path until they fell upon another path, branching in a right line from the path she was pursuing. It came from the steps of the old house. I am exactly opposite him now, she thought, and his eyes are going through me. A clear masculine voice said at the same instant, Are you afraid? She, interpreting his question by her feelings at the moment, assumed himself to be the object of fear, if any. I don't think I am, she stammered. He seemed to know then that she thought in that sense. Of the thunder, I mean, he said. Not of myself. She must turn to him now. I think it is going to rain, she remarked for the sake of saying something. He could not conceal his surprise and admiration of her face and bearing. He said courteously, It may possibly not rain before you reach the house, if you are going there. Yes, I am. May I walk up with you? It is lonely under the trees. No. Fearing his courtesy arose from a belief that he was addressing a woman of higher station than hers, she added, I am Miss Aldcliffe's companion. I don't mind the loneliness. Oh, Miss Aldcliffe's companion. Then will you be kind enough to take a subscription to her? She sent to me this afternoon to ask me to become a subscriber to her society, and I was out. Of course I'll subscribe as she wishes it. I take a great interest in the society. Miss Aldcliffe will be glad to hear that, I know. Yes, let me see. What society did she say it was? I am afraid I haven't enough money in my pocket, and yet it would be a satisfaction to her to have the practical proof of my willingness. I'll get it, and be out in one minute. He entered the house and was at her side again within the time he had named. This is it, he said pleasantly. She held up her hand. The soft tips of his fingers brushed the palm of her glove as he placed the money within it. She wondered why his fingers should have touched her. I think, after all, he continued, that the rain is upon us, and will drench you before you reach the house. Yes, see there. He pointed to a round, wet spot as large as a nasturtium leaf, which had suddenly appeared upon the white surface of the step. You had better come into the porch. It is not nearly night yet. The clouds make it seem later than it really is. Heavy drops of rain followed immediately by a forked flash of lightning, and a sharp rattling thunder compelled her willingly or no to accept his invitation. She ascended the steps, stood beside him just within the porch, and for the first time obtained a series of short views of his person, as they waited there in silence. He was an extremely handsome man, well-formed and well-dressed, of an age which seemed to be two or three years less than thirty. The most striking point in his appearance was the wonderful, almost preternatural, clearness of his complexion. There was not a blemish or speck of any kind to mar the smoothness of its surface, or the beauty of its hue. Next, his forehead was square and broad, his brows straight and firm, his eyes penetrating and clear. By collecting the round of expressions they gave forth, a person who theorised on such matters would have imbibed the notion that their owner was of a nature to kick against the pricks, the last man in the world to put up with a position because it seemed to be his destiny to do so, one who took upon himself to resist fate with the vindictive determination of a theomachist. Eyes and forehead both would have expressed keenness of intellect too severely to be pleasing. 
had their force not been counteracted by the lines and tones of the lips. These were full and luscious to a surprising degree, possessing a woman-like softness of curve, and a ruby redness so intense as to testify strongly to much susceptibility of heart where feminine beauty was concerned, a susceptibility that might require all the ballast of brain with which he had previously been credited to confine within reasonable channels. His manner was rather elegant than good, his speech well finished and unconstrained. The pause in their discourse which had been caused by the peal of thunder was unbroken by either for a minute or two during which the ears of both seemed to be absently following the low roar of the waterfall as it became gradually rivalled by the increasing rush of rain upon the trees and herbage of the grove after her short looks at him cytheria had turned her head towards the avenue for a while and now glancing back again for an instant she discovered that his eyes were engaged in a steady, though delicate, regard of her face and form. At this moment, by reason of the narrowness of the porch, their dresses touched and remained in contact. His clothes are something exterior to every man, but to a woman her dress is part of her body. Its motions are all present to her intelligence, if not to her eyes. No man knows how his coat-tails swing. By the slightest hyperbole it may be said that her dress has sensation. Creased but the very ultima thule of fringe or flounce, and it hurts her as much as pinching her. Delicate antennae or feelers bristle on every outlying frill. Go to the uppermost, she is there. Tread on the lowest, the fair creature is there almost before you. Thus the touch of clothes, which was nothing to Manston, set a thrill through Cytheria, seeing, moreover, that he was of the nature of a mysterious stranger. She looked out again at the storm, but still felt him. At last, to escape the sensation, she moved away, though by doing so it was necessary to advance a little into the rain. "'Look, the rain is coming into the porch upon you,' he said. "'Step inside the door.' Cytheria hesitated. "'Perfectly safe, I assure you,' he added, laughing, and holding the door open. "'You shall see what a state of disorganisation I am in. "'Boxes on boxes, furniture, straw, crockery, in every form of transposition. "'An old woman is in the back quarters somewhere, beginning to put things to rights. "'You know the inside of the house, I dare say. "'I have never been in. "'Oh, well, come along. "'Here you see they have made a door through. "'Here they have put a partition dividing the old hall into two. One part is now my parlour. There they have put a plaster ceiling, hiding the old chestnut-carved roof because it was too high and would have been chilly for me. You see, being the original hall, it was open right up to the top. And here the lord of the manor and his retainers used to meet and be merry by the light from the monstrous fire which shone out from that monstrous fireplace, now narrowed to a mere nothing for my grate, though you can see the old outline still. I almost wish I could have had it in its original state." with more romance and less comfort. Yes, exactly. Well, perhaps the wish is not deep-seated. You will see how the things are tumbled in anyhow, packing cases and all. The only piece of ornamental furniture yet unpacked is this one. An organ? Yes, an organ. I made it myself, except the pipes. I opened the case this afternoon to commence soothing myself at once. It is not a very large one, but quite big enough for a private house. You play, I dare say? The piano. I am not at all used to an organ. You would soon acquire the touch for an organ, though it would spoil your touch for the piano. Not that that matters a great deal. A piano isn't much as an instrument. It is the fashion to say so now. I think it is quite good enough. That isn't altogether a right sentiment about things being good enough. No, no. What I mean is, 
the men who despise pianos do it as a rule from their teeth, merely for fashion's sake, because cleverer men have said it before them, not from the experience of their ears. Now Cytheria all at once broke into a blush at the consciousness of a great snub she had been guilty of in her eagerness to explain herself. He charitably expressed, by a look that he did not in the least mind her blunder, if it were one, and this attitude forced him into a position of mental superiority which vexed her. "'I play for my private amusement only,' he said. "'I have never learned scientifically. All I know is what I taught myself.' The thunder, lightning, and rain had now increased to a terrific force. The clouds, from which darts, forks, zigzags, and balls of fire continually sprang, did not appear to be more than a hundred yards above their heads, and every now and then a flash and a peal made gaps in the steward's descriptions. He went towards the organ in the midst of a volley which seemed to shake the aged house from foundations to chimney. "'You are not going to play now, are you?' said Cytheria uneasily. Oh, "'Yes, why not now?' he said. You can't go home, and therefore we may as well be amused, if you don't mind sitting on this box. The few chairs I have unpacked are in the other room. Without waiting to see whether she sat down or not, he turned to the organ and began extemporising a harmony which meandered through every variety of expression of which the instrument was capable. Presently he ceased and began searching for some music book. What a splendid flash, he said, as the lightning again shone in through the mullioned window, which of a proportion to suit the whole extent of the original hall was much too large for the present room. The thunder pealed again. Cytheria, in spite of herself, was frightened, not only at the weather, but at the general unearthly weirdness which seemed to surround her here. "'I wish I—' The lightning wasn't so bright. Do you think it will last long?' she said timidly. "'It can't last much longer,' he murmured, without turning, running his fingers again over the keys. "'But this is nothing,' he continued, suddenly stopping and regarding her. "'It seems brighter because of the deep shadow under those trees yonder. Don't mind it. Now look at me. Look in my face. Now.' He had faced the window, looking fixedly at the sky with his dark, strong eyes. She seemed compelled to do as she was bidden, and looked in the too delicately beautiful face. The flash came, but he did not turn or blink, keeping his eyes fixed firmly as before. "'There,' he said, turning to her. "'That's the way to look at lightning.' "'Oh, it might have blinded you!' she exclaimed. "'Nonsense! Not lightning of this sort. "'I shouldn't have stared at it if there had been danger. "'It is only sheet lightning now. "'Now, will you have another piece, something from an oratorio this time?' "'No, thank you. I don't want to hear it whilst it thunders so.' But he had begun without heeding her answer, and she stood motionless again, marvelling at the wonderful indifference to all external circumstance which was now evinced by his complete absorption in the music before him. "'Why do you play such saddening chords?' she said, when he next paused. Hm, "'Because I like them, I suppose,' he said lightly. "'Don't you like sad impressions sometimes?' "'Yes, sometimes, perhaps.' "'When you're full of trouble?' "'Yes.' "'Well, why shouldn't I when I am full of trouble?' "'Are you troubled?' "'I am troubled.' He said this thoughtfully and abruptly, so abruptly that she did not push the dialogue further. He now played more powerfully. Cytheria had never heard music in the completeness of full orchestral power, and the tones of the organ, which reverberated with considerable effort in the comparatively small space of the room, heightened by the elemental strife of light and sound outside, moved her to a degree out of proportion to the actual power of the mere notes, practised as was the hand that produced them. 
the varying strains now loud now soft simple complicated weird touching grand boisterous subdued each phrase distinct yet modulating into the next with a graceful and easy flow shook and bent her to themselves as a gushing brook shakes and bends a shadow cast across its surface the power of the music did not show itself so much by attracting her attention to the subject of the piece as by taking up and developing as its libretto the poem of her own life and soul shifting her deeds and intentions from the hands of her judgment and holding them in its own she was swayed into emotional opinions concerning the strange man before her new impulses of thought came with new harmonies and entered into her with a gnawing thrill a dreadful flash of lightning then and the thunder close upon it she found herself involuntarily shrinking up beside him and looking with parted lips at his face he turned his eyes and saw her emotion which greatly increased the ideal element in her expressive face she was in the state in which woman's instinct to conceal has lost its power over her impulse to tell and he saw it bending his handsome face over her till his lips almost touched her ear he murmured without breaking the harmonies do you very much like this piece very much indeed she said i could see you were affected by it i will copy it for you thank you much i will bring it to the house to you to-morrow who shall i ask for oh not for me don't bring it she said hastily i shouldn't like you to let me see to-morrow evening at seven or a few minutes past i shall be passing the waterfall on my way home i could conveniently give it you there and i should like you to have it he modulated into the pastoral symphony still looking in her eyes very well she said to get rid of the look the storm had by this time considerably decreased in violence and in seven or ten minutes the sky partially cleared the clouds around the western horizon becoming lighted up with the rays of the sinking sun cytherea drew a long breath of relief and prepared to go away she was full of a distressing sense that her detention in the old manor-house and the acquaintanceship it had set on foot was not a thing she wished it was such a foolish thing to have been excited and dragged into a frankness by the wiles of a stranger allow me to come with you he said accompanying her to the door and again showing by his behaviour how much he was impressed with her his influence over her had vanished with musical chords and she turned her back upon him may i come he repeated no no the distance is not a quarter of a mile it is really not necessary thank you she said quietly and wishing him good evening without meeting his eyes she went down the steps leaving him standing at the door oh how is it that man has so fascinated me was all she could think her own self as she had sat spellbound before him was all she could see her gait was constrained from the knowledge that his eyes were upon her until she had passed the hollow by the waterfall and by ascending the rise had become hidden from his view by the boughs of the overhanging trees five six to seven p m the wet shining road threw the western glare into her eyes with an invidious lustre which rendered the restlessness of her mood more wearying her thoughts flew from idea to idea without asking for the slightest link of connection between one and another one moment she was full of the wild music and stirring scene with manston the next edward's image rose before her like a shadowy ghost then manston's black eyes seemed piercing her again and the reckless voluptuous mouth appeared bending to the curves of his special words what could be those troubles to which he had alluded perhaps miss aldcliffe was at the bottom of them sad at heart she paced on her life was bewildering her on coming into miss aldcliffe's presence cytherea told her of the incident 
not without a fear that she was burst into one of her ungovernable fits of temper at learning Cytheria's slight departure from the programme. But, strangely to Cytheria, Miss Alcliffe looked delighted. The usual cross-examination followed. "'And so you were with him all that time?' said the lady, with assumed severity. "'Yes, I was. I did not tell you to call at the old house twice. I didn't call, as I have said. He made me come into the porch. What remarks did he make, do you say?' that the lightning was not so bad as I thought. A very important remark, that. Did he... She turned her glance full upon the girl, and eyeing her searchingly, said, Did he say anything about me? Nothing, said Cytheria, returning her gaze calmly, except that I was to give you the subscription. You are quite sure? Quite. I believe you. Did he say anything striking or strange about himself? Only one thing, that he was troubled. Troubled? After saying the word, Miss Aldcliffe relapsed into silence. Such behaviour as this had ended on most previous occasions by her making a confession, and Cytheria expected one now. But for once she was mistaken, nothing more was said. When she had returned to her room, she sat down and penned a farewell letter to Edward Springrove, as little able as any other excitable and brimming young woman of nineteen to feel that the wisest and only dignified course at that juncture was to do nothing at all. She told him that, to her painful surprise, she had learnt that his engagement to another woman was a matter of notoriety. She insisted that all honour bade him marry his early love, a woman far better than her unworthy self, who only deserved to be forgotten, and begged him to remember that he was not to see her face again. She upbraided him for levity and cruelty in meeting her so frequently at Budmouth, and above all in stealing the kiss from her lips on the last evening of the water excursions. I never, never can forget it, she said, and then felt a sensation of having done her duty, ostensibly persuading herself that her reproaches and commands were of such a force that no man to whom they were uttered could ever approach her more. Yet it was all unconsciously said in words which betrayed a lingering tenderness of love at every unguarded turn, like Beatrice accusing Dante from the chariot, try as she might to play the superior being who contemned such mere-eye sensuousness she betrayed at every point a pretty woman's jealousy of a rival, and covertly gave her old lover hints for excusing himself at every fresh indictment. This done, Cytheria, still in a practical mood, upbraided herself with weakness in allowing a stranger like Mr. Manson to influence her, as he had done that evening. What right on earth had he to suggest so suddenly that she might meet him at the waterfall to receive his music? She would have given much to be able to annihilate the ascendancy he had obtained over her during that extraordinary interval of melodious sound. Not being able to endure the notion of his living a minute longer in the belief he was then holding, she took her pen and wrote to him also. Knapwater House, September the 20th. I find I cannot meet you at seven o'clock by the waterfall as I promised. The emotion I felt made me forgetful of realities. C. Gray. A great statesman thinks several times, and acts. A young lady acts, and thinks several times. When a few minutes later she saw the postman carry off the bag containing one of the letters, and a messenger with the other, she, for the first time, asked herself the question whether she had acted very wisely in writing to either of the two men who had so influenced her. End of chapter 8 Part 2